In the middle of the dais was a great gilded chair. Upon it sat a man so bent with age that he seemed almost a dwarf. But his white hair was long and thick and fell in great braids from beneath a thin golden circlet set upon his brow. The King of the Golden Hall, the Two Towers. Megavan and Melon, and welcome back to Interesting Tales from Tolkien, a Podmoot. I'm Mel. And I'm Kristen. And this week we are reading The Two Towers, Book One, Chapter Six, The King of the Golden Hall. Where we finally get to meet the King of the Mark. After he's been mentioned many, many times. I've been rescued this week, Kristen. I know. Elizabeth and Andy have sent in their recap. Andy is 11 years old. We're going to let him go beyond the 30-second limit. He wrote a great recap with his mom, Elizabeth, and she's going to read it for us right here. Frodo inherits the ring from his uncle Bilbo Baggins, who got it from Gollum in The Hobbit. Gandalf figures out that the ring is the one ring and tells Frodo to take the ring to the elven town of Rivendell. Frodo's bestie and handy gardener Samwise Gamgee insists on accompanying him. Frodo and Sam are then joined by two other friends, Mary Brandybuck and Pippin Took. The four hobbits are chased by Sauron's black riders. They meet up with a man named Strider who promises to help them to get to Rivendell. On their way, more chasing from the black riders. They catch up to them and Frodo gets injured by a mortar blade and almost dies. But they get saved by an elf and arrive in Rivendell. Strider is revealed to be Aragorn, the heir to the throne of Gondor and heir of Isildur, the man who fought Sauron ages ago and the one responsible for not destroying the ring when he had the chance. Gandalf informs them that the powerful wizard Saruman has joined Sauron, meaning double trouble for Middle-earth. At Rivendale, the Council of Elrond decides that a group of nine dubbed the Fellowship of the Ring will set off to destroy the ring in Mordor's Mount Doom. The Fellowship includes Gandalf, the Grey, Aragorn, slash Strider, Gimli, a dwarf and Legolas, an elf and Boromir of Gondor, son of the steward of Gondor, i.e. not a king, just a dude, and the hobbits. They set off and Sauron starts to mess with them. While traveling through the mines of Moria, Gandalf throws down with a Balrog and falls to his death. The Fellowship is completely traumatized by losing Gandalf because who wouldn't be? The Fellowship then meet Galadriel and her posse. Everyone hunkers down and tries to refocus. She gives them cool gifts and Gimli starts to have a crush on Galadriel because she's awesome. Oh my god. Fellowship starts off again, but this time the ring starts messing with Boromir. Boromir tries to steal the ring from Frodo, and Frodo runs away from the Fellowship. Sam follows him. Ta-da. Thanks for that, Elizabeth and Andy. That was brilliant. I loved the intense focus on Aragorn in this recap. It warms my heart. Aragorn is your favorite, so I'm glad you got to share a little Aragorn love with Elizabeth and Andy. Okay, listeners. The floor is still open. Even those of you who've already sent in recaps, feel free to take a different lens, a different perspective this time. If not, we can continue to torture Mel. I challenge John to do something different. I want to hear what other lenses he can do for us. Okay, Mel, you're not completely off the hook because we still do need you to catch everybody up from the beginning of Two Towers until now. Have at it. Boromir is dead. He tells Aragorn what happened to Merry and Pippin in his dying moments. Aragorn, Legolas, and Gimli hold a funeral for him and then decide that they're going to go after Merry and Pippin, leaving Sam and Frodo to complete the quest on their own. They have run across the plains of Rohan and met Eomer, who gave them horses and told them that he had slain the orcs that took Merry and Pippin. That is not true, however. Well, sorry, that is true. But Merry and Pippin escaped and there were tree bits. That's all good. Aragorn, Legolas, and Gimli enter Fangorn and have found Gandalf, who is now Gandalf the White. And that was like a really cool moment. And now they're off to meet the King of the Mark. All right, time for me to pick it up and take us through the chapter we're going to do this week. The hunters and Gandalf approach Edoras through the fields of Simomine, are greeted and enter. Hama the doorward takes their weapons and lets them in. Wormtongue is in league with Sauron. He tries to prevent Gandalf's influence, but the king ignores him and Gandalf takes him outside for the first time in a long time. An alliance is forged and the Erlingas are summoned. The king returns his trust to his son Eomer. Daughter Eowyn is left in charge. All mount their horses. Grima has to return the king's sword and they set out for Isengard. 
Nice timing. <laughs> I had to really speed up there at the end, but I think I got all the salient points in. And you know what? I don't even care that I was wrong, that they weren't going to make an alliance. I don't care that I was wrong, that they're not going to go to Isengard for a while. This chapter was so great. I love this chapter. I'm so excited to cover it with you. And I will say that the way that you question me during prediction versus fiction is a little bit dastardly. Like you make me question myself and then you make me go down these rabbit holes. And I'm going to be a little craftier at the end of today's episode when you ask me for predictions about the future. I am not going to let you dissuade me, Mel. I don't dissuade you. I ask and I challenge and I delve you down the rabbit holes because they're actually quite funny for me. I just have to sit here going, imagine if that did happen. Like, I still want my Gondor civil war between Boromir and Aragorn. We could write that fanfic in a future episode. We have new characters this week, Kristen, a lot of them. (laughs) So we hear about Errol the Young, who was the founder of Rohan, you could say, and the writers of Rohan now refer to themselves as the Errolingas after him. We met Hummer, the door ward. We also meet Grima, son of Galmond, known as Grima Wormtongue, who is the advisor to King Theoden and perhaps a spy of Saruman as suspected by Gandalf. He's basically Iago, let's just face it. He's the one who sees all of the dastardly doings and is trying to manipulate the ruler. We also hear about more historical figures, being Brego, who's Errol's son, and Telkar, who was the maker of Andriel Aragorn's sword. We got to meet some horses. I love that the horses are basically treated the same as humans. I love this. So we meet Felleroth, the father of all the Maras horses, Snowmane, who is the horse of King Theoden, and Firefoot, the horse of Eomer. I agree with you. I love that the horses are such characters. And when we eventually get to the movies, you'll see how much they are. And there's all this awesome behind the scenes stuff where you see how respected the horses were on set and how loved they were. And it's just beautiful. Ready to dive into the chapter, Kristen? Yeah. So it's a good thing that Gandalf was able to summon the horses along with Shadowfax because they have a long ride all night. But as the sun is coming up, there's once again this gorgeous description of the mountains and the sunlight coming through and then those on the other side that were still in the dark. Everything is still so far away. Only Legolas can see it. But Legolas does confirm that they have reached Edoras and Meduseld, the Golden Hall, and they approach the gate. I've got a bit of trivia for you. Okay. Metasold is a fanboy moment by Tolkien. Do you know what legend Metasold is from? I do not. So Metasold is the hall in Beowulf. Whoa, that is some really far back stuff. Yeah, a little fanboy moment for Tolkien there. little nod to mythology and inspiration. Well, that just tells us also how old this particular race of men is, if it goes back to Beowulf times. We find out from Aragorn a fair bit about them. The Rohirrim have only lived in this region for about 500 years. But for them, that is so long that they are sundered from the folk they descend from in the north, which is common ancestors with the Bjornings and the Men of the Lake. Mm. I do want to talk about the fields that they walk through, the grass as they're approaching. And Gandalf says, look, how fair are the bright eyes in the grass, as in the flowers. Ever mind, they are called Simbelmine in this land of men, for they blossom in all the seasons of the year and grow where dead men rest. Behold, we are come to the great barrows where the sires of Theoden sleep. And I had this image in my head. I have no idea what color Simbelmine are, but I thought about in Flanders fields where the poppies grow and how Mm. the poppies are symbolic of the blood shed by soldiers. I had a really emotional response to this chapter, this part of it in particular. I'm also just going to put a pin in this because we've already had an experience with a barrel white. And I'm remembering in the last chapter that Aragorn was warned about the dead. And so I'm wondering if this is the place where we're going to have to reckon with 
some of the dead. Maybe not, but it was really fresh in my memory from last chapter. I'm glad that that has stayed in your mind because I would actually really like you to keep in mind Galadriel's words and to see when they do pop up. It could be here, it could be somewhere else. But I agree that this chapter is just so beautifully written and especially this moment where they're standing among these barrows and Aragorn talks about him saying seven to the mounds upon the left and nine upon the right and how many kings there have been. And Aragorn says it's just so long ago they are sundered from their northern kin. And he goes on to do this beautiful song. He originally chants it in the Rohiric language and then says it in the common speech so all of them can understand. And I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I love the opening line even. Where now the horse and the rider Where is the horn that was blowing? Yeah, clearly this land and this people have changed over the course of time. Even though it's only been 500 years, there's still been a lot of change going on. This particular song reminded me of Sea Fever by John Macefield. I must go down to the seas again, to the lonely sea in the sky. So there's a lot of literary hearkenings in this chapter. I do love that. I love the sort of web of influence, clearly, that Tolkien is drawing from. And after this, they go a little bit further and they get to the gates and from the grass come these guards that speak to them only in their own tongue to begin with. And they go on to then explain when Gandalf says that's a bit rude. They go, well, unless you speak our tongue, you can't come here. Well, it's a good thing Gandalf is up to speed because, yeah, they were a little bit rude. And they pretty much say, we only allow our own folk or people who come from Mundberg. That's their name for the region of Minas Tirith. They're the only people we'll allow during these times. So here's a fun fact about Mundberg. If you break it down into the two German root words, Mund means mouth and Borg means castle. So he's talking about going to the mouth castle, or I'm guessing that means the castle at the mouth of the mountains. They seem to say it a bit derogatory. So, yeah. (laughs) And we get our first mention of the devious worm tongue. And I'm going to apologize in advance if I accidentally say worm tail. It's one of the parallels. I'm sure you can still find them, but there used to be these great tables that would just run around through fandom where it would literally be all these similarities. Aragorn, Aragog, Worm Tongue, Worm Tail, The One Ring, Horcruxes. Mm-hmm. I'm sure after we finish the books, we can do a deep dive. Please don't tweet those at me, y'all. I don't want to be spoiled. Tweet them at Mel. She can see them. Correct. Tweet at me. Everyone talk to me about Lord of the Rings. It's what I live for. And Gandalf is so shady. He is not about Worm Tongue, not one bit. He says, we are here to see the King of the Bark, and I am Gandalf. Here is Shadowfax. Beside me is Aragorn, son of Arathorn, the heir of kings, and all of my party. Then we get the information that really irritates the rest of the party, which is that they have to leave their weapons outside. Yes, they get the information and they're brought up to the door and Hummer explains you have to leave your weapons. I love that Legolas is the first. He just hands it over. He's a bit hesitant, but he gives it to them. And then we have Aragorn. So I got notes all over this about Aragorn being a little bit arrogant, where he's like, it is not clear to me that the will of Theoden, son of Thangle, even though he be lord of the Mark, should prevail over the will of Aragorn, son of Arathorn, Elendil's heir of Gondor. I'm like, dude. Right. It's like my sword is bigger. We ugh. And yeah. there's, there's history to this. So just a little bit of fun history for you. The land on which Rohan is built was given to them by Gondor. Mm-hmm. They came down from the north and helped Gondor out and Gondor and them formed an alliance and said, this land is yours. You can self-govern in anything, but we are in alliance with one another forevermore. So they're meant to answer each other when either is in need. So there is some history there, but I'm also like, Aragorn, bow your head and be humble, my man. You are not a king yet. And also, you're not at home. So Gandalf really tries to cool off the heated egos and reminds Aragorn, dude, you're not at home. A king gets to decide what goes on in his kingdom. So you might as well put yours down. They almost come to blows. 
because Gimli is so fast. Like, Hama pretty much says to Aragorn, look, you're either putting your sword down or you're fighting all the men in Edoras alone. And Gimli's, like, not alone, has, <laughs> has his axe at the ready. And Gandalf then steps in again and pretty much says, if we can't get along, we may as well be laughed at by Mordor. And he hands over his sword first and then says to Aragorn, come on. So... Aragorn now agrees very slowly. He unbuckles his sword and he puts it down himself. And he says, I command you not to touch it, nor to permit any other to lay hand on it. In this elvish sheath dwells the blade that was broken and has been made again. Telkar first wrought it in the deeps of time. Death shall come to any man that draws Elendil's sword, save Elendil's heir. And I love this next bit just as much. The guard stepped back and looked with amazement on Aragorn. It seems that you are come on the wings of song out of the forgotten days. I love that phrase anyway, the wings of song. He recognizes that Aragorn is not your average warrior. And with Andriel now put down, Gimli says, if it has Andriel to keep it company, my axe may stay here too without shame. Added to the list of duties for Andrew, babysit Gimli's axe. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but I love the sass that then comes up because all the weapons are down, but Gandalf still has his staff. So they ask him for it. And then Gandalf is like, foolishness, prudence is one thing, but discourtesy is another. I am old. I may not lean on my stick as I go. Then I will sit out here until it pleases Theoden to hobble out himself to speak with me. Hama's not wrong. Hama should have stuck to his guns and said, no, dude, leave your staff here. Don't be going in there and twiddling with the top. (laughs) But they convince Hama that it's okay for Gandalf to keep his staff. So dumb. (laughs) And so they're let in. And once again, beautiful description of this hall. It takes up a massive paragraph and it is just gorgeous hearing about the pillars and the banners and the banner that is actually an image of Errol the Young. And it says here, I wanted to ask you about this, about Errol the Young riding out of the north to the Battle of the Field of Celebrant. Now, we've heard about this before. Can you catch me up again? Because I forgot. So this is the battle in which what became the people of Rohan came and helped the people of Gondor. So Celebrant is a field that lies between Anduin and Limelight to the southeast of Lorien. And during the Third Age, this is about, well, about 500 years before this time, there was a battle that took place. And we don't really know that much about it, to be honest. There's a battle and they rode to the aid of Gondor. We don't even know who they exactly are fighting, though I presume it was some sort of orc. Okay, but this wasn't like a battle between races of men for property or whatever this was not the men uniting against another force no that i've just found it uh on lotr.fandom.com it was a fight between men and orcs okay cool see i i'm just so afraid to google anything i don't understand and i don't know the books well enough to be able to go back and be like now what chapter was it that they talked about this i'm sure it was somewhere around in the barrow white chapter but i anyway thank you it's it's for me to disseminate such information (laughs) And so they cross through the hall and Gandalf hails Theoden and he very slowly answers. He says, I greet you and maybe you look for welcome, but truth to tell your welcome is doubtful here, Master Gandalf. You have ever been a herald of woe. I was worried. When I first saw this description of Theoden, I was like, you've come all the way here to meet with this old dude who is clearly not at the height of his powers, long past the height of his powers. And in the back of my mind, I'm like, yeah, it's always the underdogs who make the best allies. So I was like, just trust Gandalf and get through the chapter. But I was worried that we were going to have another Bilbo Baggins who is going to be reluctantly encouraged to join the team and have his arm twisted. But it ends up that's not what happens. What happens is we find out that the reason King Theoden is appearing to be so aged is because he's being micromanaged and manipulated by Wormtail. Worm, see, I knew I was going to do it. Worm tongue. <laughs> You're leaving that in. Of course. <laughs> and we find out. So Eomer came back and he gave them tidings of Gandalf being dead. And it says that Theoden was glad to hear it. And then Wormtongue speaks. And 
he pretty much says that they don't really even like Aomer. And if we trusted men like Aomer, we would have been taken to war. And that's what Gandalf wants. Gandalf wants to bring us war. And he says, why indeed should we welcome you, Master Stormcrow? Lat spell I name you. Ill news and ill news is an ill guess, they say. So we also have a bunch of new names for Gandalf, right? Because they call him Stormcrow because whenever he comes, he has bad news. And then you just said last spell. But there is this important other piece of information because Theoden's son, Theodrid, was slain. And I'm wondering, do we find out more about that? Or is that is this the only info we have? Because later on, we're, we have more information about Wormtongue's involvement with Sauron and I, I'm just wondering if the whole slaying of Theodred is not part of the plot to manipulate Theoden and make him this completely ineffective leader paralyzed by fear and his physical aging that is making him hole up in his castle and not really do anything except listen to Wormtongue telling him how horrible the world is. I guess we'll have to read and find out. What we do find out right now, though, is that Gandalf is not having it. And he just starts to smack down Wormtongue, and I was here for this. Because Gandalf goes, you know, men may come with evil tidings. They may be a worker of evil, or they might be someone coming in time of aid. And Wormtongue says there's a third kind, pickers of bones, meddlers in other men's sorrows, carrion fowl that grow fat on war. And goes, what aid do you even bring? Do you bring me an army? Do you bring a sword, spears? That's what we call aid. But all that you have with you are three ragged wanderers in grey and yourself the most beggar-like of the four. And the last time you were here, not only did you not bring us any help, but you took Shadowfax. I mean, I can see from Wormtongue's perspective why Gandalf is a royal pain in the keister. Yeah. And Gandalf at first ignores Wormtongue again and speaks straight to Theoden. But then Wormtongue speaks ill of Galadriel. And boy, howdy, good thing Gandalf's hand was there because I'm sure Gimli would have just crash-tackled him and needed no weapon to take out Wormtongue in that moment. We do have another big song talking about Galadriel. And Gandalf is singing it. And as he's singing it, he's changing. As his powers are starting to show themselves physically, the way that he speaks to Grima, I was just like, yeah, Grima is the Iago. Like he's just the one who is constantly trying to stir up dissent and plant seeds of doubt and manipulate the person in power by planting false information and limiting the access to the truth. But then Gandalf raises his staff. There's a roll of thunder. The sunlight is completely blotted out. The fire goes out. And Gandalf just smotes the whole room. <laughs> and then you hear work done saying, did I not counsel you, Lord, to forbid his staff? <laughs> yep, and says Tama has betrayed them. And then he is sprawled on his face. Love it. That's where he deserves to be, little snake belly. And Gandalf speaks to Theoden and says, are you going to listen to me or aren't you? Too long have you sat in shadows and trusted to twisted tales and crooked promptings. And he bids him to come outside with him. And slowly Theoden rises and he goes with Gandalf. Yeah, once you've stunned Cornelius Fudge, then you could take the king outside and actually have a conversation with him. And the woman who went with him, Eowyn, sister-daughter, so his niece, is sent away so that Gandalf and Theoden may speak together alone. And then we have the meet-cute between Aragorn and Eowyn. And as I'm watching this, half of my brain is saying, this is the most beautiful, instant attraction and potential love at first sight. And then I'm also like, wait a minute, what about Lady Arwen? So Aragorn, like, make up your mind. What What is this? So anyway. Who, who do you think, just flip a coin, who do you think's better for him? This woman of Rohan who is essentially close enough to a princess or Elrond's daughter who is beloved among the elves? Well... It would be difficult at best for a human to love an elf. If I'm going to look particularly through the lens, through the eyeballs of these women, 
it's definitely better for Eowyn to end up with Aragorn. And I'm wondering if the Lady Arwen is much more like the girl who lived down the street from you growing up that you played with and then you end up not actually being in love with. That's just part of your childhood. Clearly, Eowyn is being set up as a future romance for Aragorn. Now, I mean, we'll have to wait and see what happens. But yeah, all of this, like when he touched her hand and the, she trembled. And the, I mean, I'm reading all this and, and it's beautifully written. I mean, don't get me wrong. But I'm also like, oh, man, I thought he was going to be with Elrond's daughter. Conflict. <laughs> well, and then I'm like, okay, is that really a fair love triangle? Because an elf versus a princess. Hmm. Yeah. I don't know. We'll have to see. Yeah, an elf versus a princess for a future king. Exactly. Of men. And, and I mean, if I am either one of the women, I'm fighting for Aragorn because he's, sh- he's the stuff, man. I was about to say something <laughs> we're not going to say on this family podcast. <laughs> I didn't say it so I could leave it in. <laughs> yep. I'd, I'd fight to be with Aragorn. And I loved this whole next section where Theoden has not been outside. He's been in these dark, dreary rooms with all this dark, dreary talk from Wormtongue. And he goes outside and he breathes the fresh air and he sees the beauty of his kingdom. And then Gandalf, clearly a part of his mission, being sent back to Middle-earth, is to repair this family, which has been broken because there's been this rift between Theoden and Amir. And Gandalf then brings that up and says it's time to heal that. And Eomer is being held prisoner under the Council of Grima. And Theoden explains that Eomer had rebelled against his commands and threatened Grima. And Gandalf's response is, a man may love you and yet not love Wormtongue or his council. And so Theoden has Hammer go to retrieve Eomer because since he proved untrusty as a door ward, let him become an errand runner. The guilty shall bring the guilty to judgment. He's been demoted. <laughs> Yo, dude, go get my french fries. <laughs> so Hummer is summoned and then sent off once again. And Gandalf explains to Theoden that he doesn't have time to tell him everything that he needs to hear. But what he needs to know is that there is peril greater even than the wit of Wormtug could weave into Theoden's dreams. And he says, you dream no longer. Gondor and Rohan do not stand alone. The enemy is strong beyond our reckoning, yet we have hope at which he has not yet guessed. And he quickly fills him in with as much information as he's willing to give. But he's also clearly laying the groundwork for this triple alliance between Gondor, Rohan, and then Aragorn's people from the north, the Westerners, right? I'm not making that up, right? That's what's going on here, right? He's definitely talking about Rohan and Gondor. And he's speaking about Aragorn. No guarantees about Aragorn's people. you got to remember, they're a broken, scattered race. Okay, fair enough. But also the hope, which he has not guessed, like that's Frodo and Sam with the ring, right? On their way to Mount yes. Doom. Okay. Yes. All right, good. I'm just making sure I'm keeping track of everything. <laughs> and they also address the death of Boromir. And there's this beautiful line. It's the young perish and the old linger withering. And at that moment, Gandalf says to Theoden, you would remember strength if you grasped your own sword. And they find out that Grima has taken the sword somewhere and they're not sure where. Yeah, shifty, shifty, shifty Grima. But at that moment comes Eomer and says, take this, dear lord. It was ever at your service. And he kneels down and presents his own sword to Theoden. It's so beautiful. And Theoden's like, uh, how do you have a sword? You were in prison. And then Hummer, poor Hummer's just having a day. And he says, I did it like you said he was to be set free. And maybe I've erred. But since he was free and he's a marshal of the mark, I bought him his sword. And Aomer says to lay at your feet. (laughs) So Theoden asks... Okay, Gandalf, you've come all the way here. Clearly, you have some advice for me. And Gandalf says, you've actually already done it. I was going to tell you to repair your relationship with Eomer because we have to get rid of Sauron while there's still time. You cannot have enemies on the West and the East. We've got to take out Sauron now. And then we've got to unite with Gondor 
to take out Sauron. And he also gives a plan of, you know, you got to go face Saruman, but you need to make sure your women and children and old are looked after. And Theoden agrees with the advice and says, okay, I'll get onto that, but you and your companions need to rest. And Aragorn says that they're not going to, that if the men of Rohan are going to ride forth on this day, which they must, then axe, sword, and bow will go with them. We did not bring them to rest against your wall, Lord of the Mark, and I promised Aelmer that my sword and his should be drawn together. To which Aelmer says, now indeed there is hope of victory. He's very much okay with this. Hama comes in again, and Grima the Wormtongue is here. And Hama has found King Theoden's sword, and it was with Wormtongue. Because clearly that's what a worm tongue does, is he pilfers stuff. Really? You steal the king's sword? In a chest with many other things which were missed. And Grima says, you lie. This sword your master himself gave into my keeping. And so Theoden says, and he now requires it of you again. Does that displease you? (laughs) Oh, what's he going to say? Yes, of course he's going to say, oh, no, master, whatever you desire. I just made up a voice. I have no idea if that's actually Wormtongue's voice. But Wormtongue is still trying to work his little insidious information and desires into the conversation. And... Theoden Prima says, cool, so you're coming to war with us or what? I mean, you've got time to get the rust off your sword. And Grimer is like, have pity on one worn out in your service. Send me not from your side. And Theoden is like, you have my pity and I do not send you from my side. I go to war myself and I want you to come with me to prove yourself faithful. And he tries to be appointed the head of the kingdom while all the warriors have away. And I'm going, no, 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 don't do it. And I actually wrote in the margin here, Grima is Sauron's accomplice. I didn't actually know that until the next page when Gandalf starts talking about it. But I had already predicted last chapter that Sauron's influence was at play. And I'm reading this and I'm like, no, 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 no. Grima's just going to turn it over to Sauron once you leave. Don't do it. <laughs> but they're not going to. And Aomer gets involved. I love Aomer and Grima's. Like, it's not really delved into too much. But I just love this. You can tell. You can see that Aomer totally threatened his life in the halls like a few days earlier. Mm-hmm. And he says, what office of less honor would you accept to carry a sack of meal up into the mountains if any man would trust you with it? And then Gandalf Basin is like, actually, dude, it's even worse than you thought. And I love this. He just starts in on Wormtongue. Down on your belly, down, snake. How long is it since Saruman bought you? It's clear that Amir already kind of suspected this, but Theoden is the one who really needs to see it at this moment. Mm. Because Wormtongue was going to get his share of the treasure and his choice of the women. And it's Aomer's sister that he wanted. And Aomer's like, that I knew already. For that reason, I would have slain him before, forgetting the law of the hall. But there are other reasons. And he actually steps forward, but Gandalf stops him and says, your sister is safe, but Wormtongue, you have done what you could for your true master. Some reward you have earned at least. And he says, you better get back to Saruman before he forgets. Right. (laughs) So shady. And Gandalf even suggests, look, give him a horse. See what he does. See where he goes. He's not going to ride with you into battle. Yeah, it was pretty funny where... The thought that Saruman's done with him and he's not even going to remember, like, who are you? Oh, right. (laughs) Yeah, you're the little snivelly dude with the king, but I don't need the king, yeah. Theoden agrees. He says, your choice is to ride to war and do battle with us and show yourself as true or go whether you will. But if you leave and we meet again, I won't be merciful. And Wormtongue rises. He looks at Theoden and he thinks, and then it says, such malice was in them as in his eyes. That men stepped back from him. He bared his teeth and then with a hissing breath, he spat before the king's feet and darts down the stairs. And Theoden commands that he is to be followed to make sure he does no harm, but they are not to hinder him and he is to be given a horse if he wants. And Aomer's last words on the matter is, and if any will bear him. And then Gandalf keeps talking about all of the travesty that Wormtongue has been 
trying to preponder. And he tried to prevent Aomer from pursuing the orcs. And if Aomer hadn't gone off rogue, I still am going to hold to my theory that Aomer's writers were the rogue writers. They were the rogues. <laughs> it's a good thing that Aomer defied Wormtongue because otherwise the orcs would have made it to Isengard with the hobbits. He also goes into all the counsel that he had given to Theoden about, no, don't go and fight in this battle. Go over here and let's not be involved. Let's just sit here and be powerless. And that's got to be part of why Isengard has grown in the way that it is, is that Wormtongue has just been whispering all this time. Mm. I do like this line by Theoden about Aomer. I owe much to Aomer. Faithful heart may have raw wood tongue. And so they sit down and they begin to eat. And Theoden says to Gandalf, I owe you so much. What can I give you as a gift? And Gandalf asks for shadow fact. He was only lent before, if lone we may call it. But now I shall ride him into great hazard, setting silver against black. I would not risk anything that is not my own. And already there is a bond of love between us. And I have to think, if I'm thin and I'm like, yeah, no great loss because nobody can ride Shadowfax anymore. He's clearly already bonded to Gandalf. Yeah, sure. Take you some Shadowfax. We can't ride him anyway. (laughs) (laughs) And to Aragorn, Legolas, and Gimli, he allows them to pretty much go through their armory because there is much that's being gifted to them from Gondor. And so they array Aragorn and Legolas in armor. Gimli doesn't fit anything other than a certain helm which is actually was the helm of Theoden when he was younger. And then they raise a cup. The Lady Eowyn comes forward with a glass of wine, and they all drink from the cup as a toast. And this is where they have the little brushing of the fingers on the wine cup. And here's what I hope happened. I hope either this really is the meat cute of the love that unites two peoples, or I hope that it is the start of a relationship of great respect between two leaders. Here's what I hope doesn't happen. The toxic romance. Can we not have the toxic romance that prevents Aragorn from doing his duty or Eowyn from properly ruling the kingdom of the Mark while the riders and the soldiers are away trying to defeat Isengard. That's what I hope happens. Mm. Because, yes, Eowyn is left in charge because Theoden turns to his people and says, Eomer and I are going to war. Who would you have lead you with the House of Errol gone? And Hammer answers, well, the House of Errol. And Theoden's like, but I cannot spare Eomer. And Hammer's response is, I said not Eomer, and he is not the last. There is Eowyn, daughter of Eomend, his sister. She is fearless and high-hearted. All love her. Let her be as Lord of the Erolingers while we are gone. So there are some women in Tolkien. Not a lot, but some. He puts them on a pedestal is the issue more than anything. The few he has, they're all on a pedestal. (laughs) It's time to get suited up for battle and to get on our horses. And we get to meet a few more of the horses. So Snowmane, the king's horse, and Firefoot, Aomer's horse. It's so cool that... We get to experience these horses as just as rich of a character as any of the humans that ride them. Mm, exactly. They're treated as such characters. Once again, there's Gimli having a bit of a moan about horses, and he says, A dwarf is no horseman. It is orc necks I would hew, not shave the scalps of men. And Legolas has said to him, Gandalf will probably put you down on your feet once we start to fight, or Shadowfax himself. Yeah, Gimli would rather carry the horse than ride the horse. <laughs> yep. As they're talking, Eomer turns up and pretty much says, I've not had time to learn gentle speech under your rod, as you promised. So let's put aside our quarrel. I'll speak no evil against the Lady of the Wood, and why don't you ride with me? Gimli says that, okay, we'll do that. But if you ever see Galadriel, then you need to acknowledge that she's the fairest of all ladies, or our friendship will end. And Aomer agrees and says, cool, get on my horse with me. And Gimli says, I'll do so as long as Legolas can ride with us. And so Aomer says, it shall be so, Legolas upon my left and Aragorn upon my right and none will dare to stand before us. That is a heck of a trio right there. Well, not a trio. It's a quartet. Yeah, because there's four of them now, because there's also Gimli on Aomer's horse. 
So Gandalf calls for Shadowfax and up he gets. And I love this transformation where they all see him and proclaim him. Aragorn cries out, behold, the white rider. And everyone is calling back our king and the white rider. Fourth, Eorlingas and the trumpets sound. The spears clash up in the air and they are ready to go to war. And the last line of the chapter is Eowyn up in her window looking out on the glitter of all the swords and spears. And we are ready to march on Isengard. Hey everyone, have you remembered to follow us on our social media? We are on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Podmoot. You can also check down below for a link to our Discord. Thank you for subscribing and sharing the podcast with your friends. Thanks, y'all. Kristen, who would you like to shout out this week? Well, I mean, it's always hard when you're dealing with a wizard. It's hard not to shout out the wizard because Gandalf was so important, right? He broke the spell that Wormtongue had over Theoden. And just about the moment when he was starting to have influence again, then he would smite him down to the ground. But I'm actually going to shout out Theoden in this chapter because wizard power aside, it takes a lot to make as many bold moves and bold changes as Theoden makes in this chapter. He not only listens to Gandalf's advice, he goes outside for the first time in a really long time. He reunites with his estranged nephew. He appoints the Lady Eowyn in charge while he's gone he gets on his horse. He accepts his sword. He's not been acting like much of a king, frankly. Thanks to Gandalf, he reassumes his throne. So I'm going to shout out King Theoden. I'm going to shout out Eomer for his loyalty and love of his uncle. And you hear about all the things he was doing to try and help and protect. And there's no grudge. The second he's let out, he's on his knees before Theoden re-pledging his service. Excellent. And plus, he's going to learn all about Galadriel from Gimli. He's joined our three hunters as another companion, and I swear they're going to have the best friendship ever. Can't you just see they're riding over the plains and Gimli's, so there's Galadriel and she's doing this and she looks this way and her hair is this and it's just going to be nonstop Galadriel chatter. And boy. (laughs) Right? Prediction versus fiction time. So you predicted that the fellowship would go to Theoden and have an audience with him. That did happen. Theoden is on the wrong side. It's actually a trap. Saruman might be there. Nope. But there is the influence of Saruman. The meeting with Theoden will not go well. I think it went fairly well. (laughs) It went very well. What didn't go well was Wormtail trying to derail it. But right, Theoden is all good. Gandalf isn't welcome and Aragorn's relationship with the Rohirrim is stale. Well, Gandalf wasn't welcomed by Wormtongue. Everybody else was low-key happy. And we didn't really hear that much about Aragorn's relationship with Rohan. No, we just heard that he's you know, about to be a king. And we heard this vague mention of that 500-year-old battle, but yeah, yeah, nothing about that. Eomer's group is back, and they told Theoden what happened and what they did. Theoden wasn't happy. That's actually all true, although it's more Wormtongue's influence on Theoden made him unhappy. Mm -hmm. News of Sauron collecting his armies might motivate Theoden to fight. I do think that's a piece of it. It's a piece of it. I think Gandalf did tell him the state of things in Middle-earth. And that was that the next step is we got to defeat Isengard before we can worry about Gondor. Because we can only do one thing at a time. Theoden knows about the ring and thinks Saruman has it. He does not. He doesn't know the word ring. He just knows there's this, no, Luke, there is another hope kind of thing going on. Saruman has weaseled himself into power in Rohan. Yes. I take it through his servant. Yep. He is certainly present there in the form of Wormtongue. Saruman is using the men of the mark to breed with his orcs. We don't know. We don't know. That is just so skeevy. (laughs) Saruman shows up in Edoras. Nope. Because of Saruman's involvement, there isn't an immediate alliance between Gandalf and Co. and the Rohirrim. Nope. Pretty quick alliance. Well, Gandalf just had to twiddle his staff and get Wormtongue out of the way. 
I'm going to use the word twiddle as often as possible on this podcast. I've noticed it'll take more <laughs> than this single chapter to build the alliance between the Fellowship and the Rohirrim. No. Nope. We will find out why Gandalf isn't welcome. We did. We will find out more about Aragorn's time in Rohan. We did not. News will come that Minas Tirith is under attack slash has fallen. Just this sort of vague reference by Gandalf. So no, not really. Saying that it's things are going bad, but they haven't said it's under full siege yet. Right. So our next chapter is called Helm's Deep and Helm's is possessive. So it's Helm apostrophe S. Okay, I think I remembered seeing something like Helm's Deep on a map. So I am looking, aha, I'm looking at quadrant three and I see Helm's Deep to the southwest of Rohan. And it is slightly north of Edoras. So it's in between Fangorn and Edoras. So I'm also seeing that the journey from Edoras to Isengard, we have to go through Helm's Deep. So I'm guessing that's going to be where they are marching through. They are headed for the Gap of Rohan on their way to get to Isengard. So Merry and Pippin went with Treebeard through the forest. And our men are going to ride their horses through the Gap through the fords of Aizen and eventually come to Isengard. So, yeah. So I think they are going to encounter some stuff when they're in Helm's Deep. And it looks like there's a road there that they're going to be following. So I have no idea what Helm's Deep is. It's just this area on the map. It's not in the mountains. So I'm wondering what they might encounter there. They are a large group of armed fighters. They are already set up to take down just about anything they would meet unless it's magical. So I'm going to say Saruman already knows about the hunters. Saruman already saw the hunters in Fangorn. I'm assuming he has deduced that they went to Edoras and that he is now preparing for an assault on Isengard. So I'm going to guess that Saruman is going to try to waylay the forces of men that are marching on Isengard. That's what I'm guessing is going to happen in this chapter. Some sort of attempt by Saruman to keep them from getting to Isengard. How does he attempt to waylay them? Well, he's a wizard. I mean, he can kind of do stuff, you know? I'm thinking because of the word deep, I'm wondering if that's not, there's a deep valley or maybe a deep fog. There's something that is going to keep them from knowing where they're going. In my mind, I have this picture from the movie, The Wizard of Oz, where they were in the field with the poppies and the Wicked Witch of the West blew the sleepy mist on them and they all fell asleep. I think it's something like that. There's some sort of magical something, fog or something. Or like when they were in Mirkwood, they couldn't see where they were going and they kind of got off track and then they got distracted by the spiders. It's something like that. Something where they they can't stay in formation. They maybe get separated into smaller groups. It diverts their direct march. To Isengard. But will they successfully reunite and finish their march on Isengard and arrive? Eventually, yeah. But I, I actually think there might be some casualties in this chapter. Maybe like a group of the men is subsumed either by the Helm's Deep. Because I'm thinking Helm. Helm is the edge of a ship, but they are nowhere close to the water. Maybe helping you a bit. It's also in Rohiric, it's a name. person could be named Helm. Oh, no clue what that means. That's okay. I just want to ask some questions that are following on from long-term predictions you've previously made and just seeing where we're up to. Legolas and Gimli, are they still long for this fellowship or are they going to split off? I think they are with this group. I think they stick with Gandalf and Aragorn through whatever happens. I think there is going to be a battle at Isengard. I think the two of them make it to Isengard. And maybe they even stay. I mean, they have to defeat Isengard. There's no way to defeat Sauron without defeating Sauron first. So yeah, I think they stick around. I still think 
their duty is to get that sword. And you asked me before who wields it. I still don't know who wields it, but I think they also have to go back through Mirkwood to pick up the wood elves and they've got to go to the Lonely Mountain to pick up the Bay Warnings, the men of the lake, the dwarves of the Lonely Mountain. That buddy cop adventure is vital in order to bring all of those other people in to fight the battle that's ultimately going to be at Gondor. And I think the only way we win the battle of Gondor is if Frodo is also successful in destroying the ring. That's a long ways off. In the short term, I think Legolas and Gimli are with Gandalf at least until we get to Isengard and maybe even until the defeat of Isengard. Since we brought it up in this chapter, have you thought any more about the words Galadriel gave to Aragorn, Legolas and Gimli? You can say no. (laughs) Yes, I have. I think I said everything I need to say about them, though, before. My final question, what is going to be your prediction for Aragorn, Eowyn, and potentially Arwen, potential love triangle, whatever's going on there? I think I already said it. I think that Arwen is the girl next door who will always be a part of your childhood and a beloved part of the family. But I think the romance and... Also, let's get real. The way to unite your kingdom is to create a marriage with the neighboring kingdom. And I think that the return of the men of Westerness is going to have everything to do with Aragorn's ability to transition from being a ranger to being full on king. And what better way to reunite his own people than to reunite them with the Rohirrim that they helped to settle. I do think this is the introduction of the romance of all romances. Yeah, I do. Awesome. So homework for next week is to read Helm's Deep. Oh, God. How did that? Oh, my God. No, no, no. It was in my head. What's that? Um. And then we start talking again about Wormtongue. No, that's not what we start doing at all. Thanks for joining us. If you want to find us on social media, we are on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Podmoot. Our email address is podmoot at gmail.com and our website is podmoot.com. If you'd like to contact me personally, I'm at Mel Bickett on Twitter and Instagram. Kristen, where can people find you? I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Kristen Conducts. Norvera Mellon, until we meet again. Bye, y'all.